0: Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Spiel with Stewie. I am of course your host Stewie, and today I will boldly address a complex layered daunting um topic that is feminism. Yay. Um this is going to get deep. It's going to be a deep episode. Feminism um like all social movements they involve a lot of complex ideas, components, debates. Um, I'm going to give you some info on the different aspects, giving my opinion. And as you listen, you're probably not going to agree with everything I say, and that's okay. Different opinions are alright, as long as you know your opinion isn't threatening or harmful to others, and we should be open to other people. And um, I'm also going to note this isn't necessarily like a woman only episode. Um, I would like everyone to hear it, no matter how you identify and it's gonna get deep but this is going on in the world and it matters so let's get it feminism episode number four of the spiel with stewie so um to begin most social study courses rarely give us students um an in-depth history of feminism you know your average u.s history um class is going to mention you know women's involvement and maybe abolition, and a temperance movement, if you get that deep. But overall, you know, your basic course is like, hey, Susan B. Anthony and some other chicks, you know, working to get women the right to vote. And you know what happened? Um, Pretty much white women got the right to vote, even though the law didn't specifically discriminate. But we'll get to white women in a sec. So in general, what's the big idea? What is feminism? Um, Because there's a lot of answers and ideas but i like webster's definition because it's a good base and it says that feminism is the theory of political economical and social equality of the sexes and i think that's pretty much what we're trying to get to in a sense that it shouldn't matter what your sex or your gender is um women are their own being they should be able to live their lives with the same freedom and opportunity has met and this is our start. So I think I want to discuss the um, divide, one of the big divides between women um, that more people know about but the media doesn't really get enough credit and that is white feminism. Um, This is the mindset where a person fights for their person, their problem, excuse me, but not necessarily in the um, terms of women of color, different backgrounds, this is like, you know, white women talking about their problems that kind of display some of their privilege, kind of displays, you know, problems that necessarily not most women go through. And an, exe- an ex- easy example is um, if a white woman states that um, brown women and Muslim women shouldn't wear hijabs, they feel that it's oppressive, and that's it. Her jobs are oppressive. Oppressive that's a statement, that's something they believe in, and um, and you know, it's not really true. And it's kind of hard for like you know, a white woman to talk about something that isn't really in her culture, isn't really in her religion, but. And that's it, but, you know, she'll make some statement like that that she doesn't know much about, can't relate to, just understand the cultural significance, Besides, says, you know, boom, just that. The jobs are oppressive. Um, religious head wraps are oppressive. Women shouldn't be forced to wear. Or they won't even say that, They're just oppressive, boom, oppressive. Um, and a better statement to kind of correct this would be... Um, Muslim women should have the right to choose to wear hijab and should not be forced to wear or to not wear by any government. And the problem with white feminism is the um, common ignorance that goes along with it. For example, um, the problem here in the United States is that indigenous women are at higher risk of murders, abuse, and sexual assault and usually at rates very higher than any other minorities. And, you know... Instead of focusing on that, you know, the white feminism is like they'll change it to be like, um, well technically white women get white women get raped and murdered too. And you know, it's not wrong, no one's denying it, but it's just this whole continuous focus of changing um the a victim to just themselves. Like, well we get raped too, we get abused too. Well, no one's denying that, no one's denying that there needs to be some change against women getting raped but the fact that you know indigenous women get raped at higher rates sometimes is that issue and the reason the real issue is just white feminism focuses on privilege issues of white women and they don't um and just take away from the other issues that other women of color go through and you know this is how i feel about it pretty much that um White women are not the one-size-fits-all represent, representative of women's rights in the struggle. Um, we struggle together, that is always going to be true, but white feminism can be so loud and toxic that is the main reason why women are, can be so um, adamant about not calling them feminism. You know, most of your extreme hardcore, you know, kill-off-men feminists are white women and, you know, their issues you know they want to they want to some they can be so toxic they advocates for like almost borderline abusive men um and talk about issues that like no one really wants to deal with like some of them have like weird poor hygienic practices like oh women shouldn't wear pads or something crazy like that and um that's nasty women should wear any type of feminine product they should need during their cycle And it will just be stuff like that that some of these, like, extremist white women will advocate for. That has, like, nothing to do with the cause. has nothing to do with the struggle. And it's just distracting overall. So, um, ultimately white feminism does not represent the movement appropriately and really does more harm than good. it's not to say that, you know, if you're a white woman and you're a feminist that, you know, you're being, like, this nasty repulsive thing but it's also the fact that like you as a white person have a certain level of privilege whether you know you may not see it and i could talk about that another time but you know there are other stuff that you are going through but you know women of color have a different issue on and you can advocate that advocate for that at the same way you know supporting all women in general so you know it's the white feminist in quotes that is um Destructive in a way compared to a white woman who is a feminist, and there is some difference in that. I hope you get that from my wording. On the um, continuing on, on the strong opposing end of feminism, it's a group of men who call their quote unquote social movement minimism. Menemism, somewhat difficult to say, but we'll get through it. Um, so these uh, menists believe that women have made their lives miserable and that men have a worse in life. And I think the issue with the majority of these men is that they uh, like they go a- oppose the problems that men who they claim are they trying to support go through daily. And it's like at the end of the day, you know, they're supporting all these um, centuries of toxic toxic masculinity that's been forced upon them, you know. They enforce this ideal manly standard that society expects of them, and it's doing harm. And before I elaborate, um, I did some research and looked into several of these menomist accounts, and it was disturbing. It really was, you know. Some the, I have some quotes that I'm going to read. These are some of the posts that I would had found on these accounts. Um <clears throat> Women who claim to be raped are the ones I wouldn't even touch in the first place. Women use men as objects the same way I do to women. Men gave women the right to vote, so I don't see why they're complaining. And I can go on. And I think just, you know, the issue with this so-called minimism is that there isn't really any type of, like, actual advocating or addressing issues that men go through. And it's usually... Not ironically, but interestingly enough, like, women are the one who admit that there are issues men face and need to address. And, like, in common parts and, like, populated parts of the world, um, male suicide rates are high. And, you know, there are victims of male, there are male victims of domestic violence. And, you know, these are issues that should be addressed amongst men in this, you know, so-called menimist um. Group that wants to advocate for their own problems, but it's not. Most of these minimists are the ones who um, make fun of men who you know open up about their feelings, or they're because you know that's weak, or the, a man whose wife makes more than him because that's pathetic, or a man who is queer, and you know that's not manly and he should be ashamed of himself. So just in general, like actual in real life minimist support the toxic masculinity that is, you know, that impacts men's lives. And, you know, women come to the aid during a part of this, like, feminist movement is, you know, addressing all these layers of masculinity, of toxic masculinity that society has frameworked, you know, based on a man's actions, its income, his appearance, sex life, mental health, emotions, like... The standard is generically from what society wants us to think is that a man should make more money than his wife he should internalize his problems to stay tr- tough he's attractive he's aggressive and proud and he has sex with women these constraints are damaging and it's still taking time for our men to address that you know hey this is something I don't like that's expected of us. This is something we should talk about as men together, and like, it's not going on. Because, you know, if you talk about your problems, you're considered weak, and then you would get disrespected, and it's like, what's the point of fighting back? And this is kind of like the controversy going on now because as people, as men, speak up about their personal experiences, some of them are getting backlash. Um, a popular example with the actor Terry Crews, he has shared in multiple interviews that um, when he was first came out about his openly about his experience with sexual assault, it was women, and particularly um, black women, that were supportive as he spoke about um, his incident, dealing with it internally, and how it has impacted his career. And um, so the other side of that is that um, men were the ones going after him, you know, calling him discussing names, making fun of his experience, and you know, overall just not talking about the issues at hand, but you know, heavily expression of victim blaming victim blaming. And I think that's the thing with feminism that it's just so different. It's not just all power to women, but it's also the strong advocation. For you know, better mental health for men, making sure male victims of assault and domestic violence and such heal and get justice, and some more support men to break out of the mold. So for me, just observing and knowing what I believe in and seeing what other people believe in, women in feminism is really doing more to support men in their issues, unlike menists who are just bullies and aren't supporting anything. Just shutting one another down. So, um, one of the biggest, most heated debates in politics, um, families and internally is women's health as it relates to birth control. And there are several debates about, you know, whether women should be allowed to get abortions, when should we consider when life begins and things like that. And there's a lot that goes into it. And, um, not all women are pro-choice as it is called, and honestly, this is I'm gonna share where I stand on this. Um, women should not be dictated on when they are allowed to get abortions and what their limitations on birth control should be. In our society, the politics on the issue is severely flawed. Um, you can find several stories about politicians who believe that abortion should be allowed if a woman is raped. And then the flip side of that is there are stories of the opposite, um, some states and case, cases will still deny women the right to an abortion if um, they were raped. Um, and one case I'm going to share is in 2017 an Alabama court received judgment after they ruled in favor to waive parent consent in favor of a 12 year old victim who was repeatedly raped by a male relative at the sign, at the time. She testified that she did not have a good relationship with her mother, mother and did not want her involvement in the decision after years of abuse and the critics had said that a 12 year old is not mature enough to make a decision to get an abortion and that there will be mental and emotional side effects when she's older and understands what she did and um personally I understand what's trying to be said but at the same time it bothers me but that a 12 year old is not mature enough to get an abortion but it's okay for her to have a child and at the time this um particular young lady she had just finished the um, fifth grade, when she had testified by that she um, was going had a baby or is pregnant, excuse me, and that she's lived in this dysfunctional household, and you know that she is already having to grow up in some ways, and this is already causing her enough um, issues in her life, and this is why she wants to get an abortion. Which I mean, I understand completely. Like you know, I could not imagine having been gone through what she did at twelve, but at the same time, I couldn't imagine having to become a mother at twelve. So I think that's where this issue stands. And um, for me, I'm th- I'm the oldest child. I'm um, the child of an older teen mom, and however, um, that hasn't been easy. And you know, I thank God because honestly, like my parents are still together and they support each other. But the thing is, like my mom made the decision to have me. But growing up, I mean, growing up was hard. But at the same time, it wasn't that bad because like my family, like, I have a family, a strong family background and being forced into motherhood is not something that we should have to deal with. And I feel like this idea that like we are gonna deal with it or you know women should just have the baby is because like we have this notion in society in the world that women are these natural caregivers and you know we should just have the decision not to have sex. Like that's the expectation, which honestly I personally don't do it myself, but, like, I feel like that's ridiculous to ask people or ask women not to have sex as their form of birth control. Because, um, honestly, I feel like, you know, the idea and what people should really understand about being pro-choice is that it isn't saying that um, a woman is going to get an abortion every single time she ends up being pregnant. Um, But it's the fact that, you know if she decides to have an abortion then you know she should be able to get it like my mom like I said was 17 when she had me and she wanted to have me but I know for myself that if I um, was pregnant when I was 17 I would not have wanted to have the child and you know while she and maybe other women wouldn't have gotten abortions themselves they should at least support my decision to have one And, you know, that this issue is so complex because there are so many voices talking at once. And, you know, the first problem I feel is that, like, these, and usually male, um, lawmakers are really and truly, like, ignorant to women's bodies and how conception works. And I've, like, seen several stories where, um, a male politician one time, he said that a woman, a woman can, um, prevent pregnancy by telling her vagina. Not to fertilize the egg. <clears throat> Again, a woman can sell her vagina. Not to fertilize the egg. That is his words, not mine. I promise. And like that's just one example of just the level of ignorance that is had in our, we have in our um, state legislations and also um, our federal ones in Congress. And then the next question that some people have is like, okay, well, what if a male partner? In the relationship <clears throat> wants to have the baby but the woman doesn't and i believe honestly and you know 100 percent that relationships um there's always compromise you know giving and taking but there has to be a 100 percent agreement when it comes to raising a child you should not have to convince a woman into giving birth you not know, should have to convince her into becoming a mother because that changes your life and you know that's kind of um that's kind of even cause problems later down in the road because it's like, hey, is that man, is that father going to stay committed in this child's life? And, you know, if he leaves, then the mother is with a child that she wasn't ready to have at that time in their life. Um, And to kind of further elaborate this, in 2018, it was reported that one-third of American children live in single-parent households. However, the numbers can be even higher. Like... My parents were so set, and I don't know if they, like, you know, did this intentionally, but, like, my parents pretty much beat nearly every, like, odd and statistic that when it comes to, um, having a child during their teenage years, you know, like, they're high school sweethearts, they got married, they're still married, they're two other, my two other siblings, you know, they're doing well for themselves, and, you know, I'm not gonna, and I had a great, like, childhood watching my parents you Know, have I mean, they have their issues obviously, and that's not my business completely, but at the same time, like you know, a good parent background, a good example of like a husband and wife. Excuse me, I lost my train of thought. Um, myself is saying, like, you know, I was raised with a good example and a good strong family background, and I'm not going to say that you know, every single parent household is terrible, and you know, they can be, uh, it can't be better to be raised by a single parent instead of both for um varying circumstances but just in general like women should not have to end up raising a child on her own because of the irresponsible actions of a man and like this thing this like single motherhood thing is so common in our society you know with men abandoning their roles as fathers and you know if a woman women are demonized if they decide to leave a man and this like whole single fatherhood um is so glorified in a way, cause it's like, oh my gosh, you know, he does his daughter's hair, um, he takes her to his cheerleading practices, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong, and you know, we, in a sense, cause like you're being a good dad, and I understand that, and it's great, but like, no one's demonizing single fathers to the same extent that you know, I mean, not a single fathers, um, men who leave their um, baby mamas or wives or whatever it is at the same rate or the same extent of um, women who decide to go on their own and then even have this single-parent household. And it can be, and it's like, it doesn't even matter. Like, a woman could be, like, paying child support, and she's still a deadbeat because how could she not be in her own child's life? And there's always more to say about that, but you get the point. Um, abortions can prevent many things. And my problem that is that, like, as a nation, like to give, we have this idea that, you know, if we give women, um, better access to abortions, then there's going to be, like, this idea that every single time that she finds out she's pregnant, that she's going to get an abortion, or these women will get abortions, and I, like, that's ridiculous, um, it's not healthy to have, um, multiple abortions in a single year, and that, um, that assumption is just, in general, ignorant and detriment, detrimental to society's view of um, women. Accidents do happen, but they also can be prevented. So that leads me into our next topic, birth control. And the um, ridiculous thing about this reproduction rights debate is the fact that politicians want to limit abortions, but they also want to limit contraceptives. Like, you can't get an abortion and you can't get birth control. And there's that's it. There's no liberty there. And, you know... It's so demeaning to the point that, you know, politicians just might as well just say like, oh, women are baby making machines, deal with it, like that's it, point blank, period. And there is really no probable way to consistently prevent pregnancy unless you abstain from sex entirely. And that's a ridiculous expectation, whether you're religious or not, that's just, that's how it is. Um, it's not a good expectation for society, because at the end of the day, men and women have sex. And yet, women are always criticized on how they want to regulate their bodies when it comes to birth control and such. Um, and such. So, condoms. Condoms, condoms, condoms. It's weird saying it multiple times, but I'm going to insult your intelligence for a moment. Condoms are a form of birth control. Like, there you go. You put the condom on... You go about your business and then you're done. And honestly, you know, yeah, you've heard some stories about how they're not 100% effective, but like, no one is monitoring um, condom access like they are for other um, forms of contraceptives. So, like, honestly, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, I remember one of my friends, he um, he was at Walmart. He was like, we were like 16 at the time. And he's like, oh, I just bought a box of condoms. And I'm like, Seriously? He's like, yeah. I'm like, they don't ID you or anything? It's like, of course not. I was like, oh wow. And I mean, that's how like accepted condoms are. So we're going to go down for a little lesson of history about condoms and some other forms of birth control. So in ancient civilization, birth control methods included these devices. I believe it's pronounced "pessaries." I think that's right. And they were inserted into the vagina, but these were made of, like, a bunch of, like, different things. And they were, um, they had some effect. But, you know, these ancient forms of women, um, contraceptives and methods were, you know, accepted. So the big deal with, you know, how condoms come into play is in, um... 1700s they grew popular in western civilization you know they were made from like animal intestines or like chemi- chemically treated linen and they were mainly used by um middle and upper class citizens who understood some basic level of sexually tram- tr- transmitted diseases and birth control and you know there's some incidents incidents of backlash you know abstinence was heavily promoted in world war Two, but at the end of the day um, like I've been trying to, I'm saying, condoms are accepted in society. Men can buy condoms, women can buy condoms, you can get them anywhere. Go to Walmart, boom, you can get it at pharmacies, gas stations. And the thing is, like, condoms are these easily accepted because, you know, men have more sexual freedom than a woman, you know. Um, a, guy, a guy says he's not ready to be a father, and of course, you know, he can use a condom. A woman says the same thing it's like it's some freaking taboo like oh she should just not have sex and it just like it bothers me because you know some of these like conservative um politicians you know want women to abstain from sex but then the other side of it is like who are these like heterosexual men are supposed to be having sex with if they're abstaining and like Like, you know, politicians you hate gay people, but then, like, who are your sons and what not supposed to be, you know, doing their business when women shouldn't be having sex? So, for me, my goal, um, is what I like to believe, my, um, level-headed feminist, um, is women have access to birth control and to not be limited in order to have, you know, some sexual freedom between men and women. You know, women should be able to make the choices for themselves when it comes to being a mother and, you know, able to um, just make their life decisions because, you know, these things impact their goals, their dreams. You know, we have our own struggles and fears, but we are individuals. So, you know, we should let, um, let us live our life. She got her own thing, the independent woman. I actually read the lyrics from the song "Miss Independent" um, by Neo, and he actually has like some really good points, despite his own personal experience with uh, women. But the song is good. A key line from the song: um, "The independent woman does not want a man, or she wants a man, but she doesn't need him." And I think as um, women grow in society, whether or not they call themselves feminists. Um, there is this wave of independency and it counters the traditional idea that, you know, Omen can get educated and, you know, she can work, but as soon as she marries, she should um, stay home and raise the children while her husband is the financial provider. Um, and you know, there's nothing wrong with the scenario. If you decide to be a stay at home mom because that fits you, then go for it. You know, it's your life. But I feel like this narrative that, you know, that's your ultimate goal as a woman does a lot of harm. Um, As I mentioned before, many people are raised in single mother households. So the majority of this wave of, you know, the independent woman has um, witnessed firsthand the struggles that, you know, their mothers went through. Um, As a woman, I think depending on how your mother handled Raising you, you know, if you had siblings or whatnot, kind of dictates the possibility of your future independency, um, at least for a moment. Like, if your mom invested so much of their time and drive into you, then I think you're just naturally inclined to make things work out for on your own. Um, the famous comedian and renaissance woman, Amanda Seals, um, in her podcast, Small Doses, she goes a little more into depth about the correlation between um, single moms and independent women. So I feel like you should um, um, wa- listen to that episode. It's called Independent Women. Um, I, ca- I can understand her points, but, you know, I'm not going to repeat them or elaborate them because, you know, I didn't grow up in a single mother household. But um, I think our depiction of an independent woman in society is kind of warped and, like, very contradictive, you know. Um, You go if you watch these but you know you watch that horrific Hallmark movie where it's Christmas time and the main character is this highly successful businesswoman who has done well for herself but like the whole conflict of the entire movie that she's lonely and feels bad because she's single. And I think that's unhealthy and conflicting. Like, there are um, two sides where, you know, people think an independent woman doesn't want a man. And the other side that thinks the independent woman is miserable, even amongst her self-made success, because she doesn't have one. And this is getting old. Like, personally, this is just kind of like a male-driven narrative that is toxic. Even if a woman says this, like, you know, it's this idea that is put into our heads like I can be happy be self-sustained and want to be in a relationship and that's fine it's just that like my happiness in life does not revolve around the fact I need a man for emotional financial mental support it's great to have companionship you know during this journey called life but I am my own individual like if I have my own business and make seven figures then that's okay for me to be me. And there are men whose issue with this wave of feminism or, you know, feminine independency is the fact that they don't feel wanted. And again, this is a topic, um, great segment on the Amanda Steele's podcast and for when I lack dating experience (laughs) for some reason. But, um, I just think that like the traditional gender roles have made us think, um, people think that a woman will be that emotional supporter and that the man will be like the physical protector and financial provider and like that's really constricting you know a relationship is a two-way street you know I scratch your back you scratch mine you know we rely on each other based on our strengths and that is not what we are told to do um so, you know, like, independency is like self-sustainability in a way that, you know, you're not seeking validation from someone else. Like, you do what you can and you help who you can, but you're not forced into a role that prevents your happiness. So, you know, in general, ladies, make your coins, take care of yourself, um, help those you can help, and be patient because, you know, it's your life and you got it. Wrapping up, my final topic today is about intersectional feminism. Um, this topic correlates with what I was first talking about, white feminism and its exclusion of other races. Um, to shift focus, I'm going to talk a few topics. Um, each of these topics might be a little short because some, not everything I have like this deep personal connection to, but you know, this is still worth mentioning. So first off, um, disability, people with disabilities, um, are people just the same. And even though you hear that our differences don't, you know, our differences don't make us greater, lesser than our fellow man. Um, it is harder for able-bodied people to treat um, people with disabilities the same in a sense. You know, we see it in our behaviors. Like if you crouch down in front of someone in a wheelchair or enunciate when you speak with someone with hearing disabilities. Or simply make that like awkward or sympathetic expression when anyone around, um, when around anyone that has like an obvious physical disability. Um, I have some experience witnessing people with disabilities in a, a bit. Um, my great uncle was blind, and there was a deaf ministry um, at my church, or is a deaf ministry, they're so current and you know, doing their thing. Um, I think our issues when it comes to disabled women, um, tie in what are expectations of a woman's ability and self-image. Like, there just isn't much exposure to disabled women and how they are still simply women, you know? Like, this was somewhat, you know, um, what's the word? Brought up, you know, with the movie Soul Surfer, and the, which tells the story of, um... Bethany Hamilton, and she's a surfer who had lost um, her arm in a shark attack. And the book and the movie received positive feedback. And I do believe it's important for, you know, young girls and kids alike to um, understand that there is a comeback after such an event. But um, not everyone has been attacked by sharks, you know, like there are acquired disabilities from accidents, illnesses. But, you know, there are also disabilities that people are born with. And it is harder in a sense for women uh, because in the media, you know, there's already such a rigid, like, idea of the ideal woman for, like, able bodied women and little representation of women with disabilities, you know, who live normal lives and aren't, like, internally miserable. Um, another thing, I will encourage you, um, go Google the Rolettes. They are a um, women's um, wheelchair dance group. That participates in competitions and you know they speak about their lives. So I hope um, watching what pr- this in their stories and their videos will provide some insight into what I'm kind of talking about. So like, what am I really trying to say? Um, women with disabilities are still women and still need to be represented and celebrated, not only as some like triumphant sob story that you know this person beat the odds, but like a person who has a pr- who has problems outside of their physical physical being and you know needs resolutions along other women so um moving on this one's going to be a little touchy for some um but yeah i'm going to talk about it transgender women um and i don't have to say i don't have much to say um i haven't met a transgender woman but I've read a lot and you know I feel like it's so important to bring this up like trans women have been involved in so many different areas of like social movements for years like hell along like decades you know no matter what decade you know they're um they march along with cis women you know they support the efforts and the um struggle and stuff like that and you know I'm just gonna say and here's kind of my main point We need to be here for our trans sisters. Um, Every year, there are hundreds of silenced crimes and murders against trans women and um, gender non-conforming individuals. And it's just about time to, you know, we just stand up for the harassment. We stand against the um, abuse and the crimes against these women. Like, and I'm not saying, like, you need to fully comprehend their lifestyle and their choices. But, you know, we got to show up and show out. Support their cause as it is a part of our own, you know. It's not some separate entity just as, like, LGBT rights are not against human rights. You know, the free stands, no one is free until we're all free. And, you know, I can go on and talk about, you know, different women and new backgrounds, but, you know, that's my main point. Support our trans sisters. Um, support women of, with disabilities, you know. Treat them as our own because that's what it is at the end of the day. So, um, I covered a lot today, um, uh, and you know, I might have, you might think I have swerved from discussing feminism, but, like, feminism and women' ri- women's rights are not just, like, one-size-fits-all topics and issues, and there's always more to it, you know, there's always more to talk about how it impacts everyone's lives in society, you know. Let women live their lives, you know, have these open conversations and listen, you know. If you're a woman, listen to a different experience than your own. If you're a man, listen as well and understand that there are some differences, you know. Not everything's bad to be different, but, you know, just listen, you know. So open up, speak, listen, think about it, you know, repeat. That's the process. And there we go. Thank you for listening to me today. We talked about feminism, hit a lot of good points, think about it. If you would like to share your thoughts and ideas and opinions, um, hit me up on the social. Hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at thespiel.stewie. Thank you again. Stewie out.